So welcome to The Golden Crane, a podcast where we read the Wheel of Time book series started by Robert Jordan and finished by Brandon Sanderson. I'm your host, Zach, and I've finished the series and reread the series multiple times over the last decade. Joining me on this reading of the wheel is Skylar, Eddie, Carla, and Tara. I thank you all for listening to our journey through these amazing books. First, let's get a little more from our guests. So uh, let's go ahead and say hi and get our knowledge of Wheel of Time. Go ahead and start, Skylar. So I'm Skylar. Um, I have not read through any of the books uh, other than the, the first couple of chapters that I've prepared for this session. But uh, yeah, I'm a first time reader. Thank you, Skylar. Eddie, how about you? Wouldn't say hi. Hey, this is Eddie. Uh, definitely my first time as well, too. I've definitely been very ignorant of Wheel of Time. I've not even watched the series or haven't even really heard about it up until Dak brought it up. So it'll be a interesting and very long read. <laughs> Many times I brought it up. Many times. Uh, Carla, which I may say mom, because she's my mom, but I'll try to say Carla to cause less confusion. But go ahead, Carla. I'm new to the books, but I have watched the series. So it's kind of throwing and, me off a little bit on the first book, but we'll be okay. And lastly, my wife, Tara. Hello, everyone. I am Tara. I am... Less new than the rest of you to the books, but not as seasoned as Dak. I'm up to book five. I'm about two-thirds of the way through book five. So I have a little more knowledge. I will try to not spoil it for you guys. All right. So today we're going to be covering uh, at least the prologue and the first two chapters of The Eye of the World, book one of the time. Depending on time, we may go a little further, depending on how far one is read or we're done early we'll just be done early but with that let's start with our prologue so uh let's, let's go with skylar first what did you what did you think of the prologue so i i thought it was uh i get obviously it was confusing at first because i mean it, it just kind of throws just like just opens up on a guy that's kind of in like it it almost seems like he's in a castle or like a palace or something like that with like the way it describes all the, the hallways and the elegant um, uh, furnishings and everything. Uh, one thing I did find kind of interesting when it's describing that opening scene though is yeah, even though like the floors and the walls are all just destroyed and stuff. Uh, some of the finer things like the, uh, the decorative pieces uh, were like left unmarred aside from like the paintings being pushed off the walls from like the walls warping uh, mm-hmm. and like the tapestries and even like some of the carved furnishings. Like, I, th- I thought that was kind of unique that those were left untouched. Um, and then the showing up of uh, Elon Morin, the betrayer yeah. of hope. Um, mm-hmm. And then just kind of that whole confrontation just like he wasn't aware of, I guess, what he had done, which it doesn't really explain what he did, but you're just kind of like experiencing the aftermath. I, th- I thought that was, that was a, it was a cool little like opening to it. But uh-huh. Yeah. Some solid observations. Uh, Eddie, what did you, did you pick up anything else uh, on your read of the prologue there that you found interesting as a first note? Yeah, essentially, same as Skylar said, you know, they definitely reference a lot of things at once, a lot of groups of people, a lot of locations, things that happened, did, will happen and such. And so there's a lot of, like, talk about, like, the Dark One or the Great Dark, Great Lord of the Dark, um, and kind of what happened then and kind of what has happened what will happen as far as like the wheel of time goes and so it kind of really just paints this picture even though it's like a prologue it really just kind of paints this like foreshadowing picture of what's going to happen yeah it really sets the stakes doesn't it it does my mom has read the verse <clears throat> the series so the prologue probably made a little more sense to you uh but is anything you picked up uh from your read well, did any of your books have the f- prologue sequel or the prologue to the prologue called Ravens? Not all books do. Um, if Skylar won't, because he's got my 
my paper copy. Um, Ravens was written like halfway through the series. It was the prologue that Jordan wanted, but he didn't write initially. So most books don't have Raven, and we'll actually have we'll actually cover it chronologically, like book six or seven, technically. So. Oh, okay. So I don't talk don't about Ravens now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had a whole thing. On, I had a whole thing on that, guys. Really. Save those notes because uh, I haven't had. I haven't even read Ravens because when the book series first came out, Ravens wasn't a thing. So I haven't even read Ravens. That'll be a first read for me when I read it. So let me ask you this: Do the books go back and forth in time then? Because this particular piece it seems is like it. Iguin as a child. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The the regular prologue just specifies the age of legends. The Raven starts throwing in all other timelines too. Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, prologue. Yeah. Um, the regular prologue. The regular prologue. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I thought there was it was a whole lot of lead up, and it's a little confusing because there's. There's terms of the creator, the light, the true source. You don't know if that's a trinity we're talking about. Is that the same person, different aspects of one thing? The dark one, the shadow, are they different aspects of one thing? Are they the same thing? Those are good questions. Those are things I'm like, where does that lead us? I think confusion is the overall theme of the prologue. Because the first time that I read the prologue, when I was reading it the first time, I was extremely confused. I was like, I don't even know. I don't even know what we're talking about. And Dak explained it to me and I was like, okay, I kind of get it. And then as I read through the books and watching the show, which I knew what was going on before I watched the show, but having seen the show and the extras on the show definitely makes a reread much more clear. Okay. Yeah. The prologue is the prologue is like the, the truest eye, not eye candy. That's not the truest. Um, like, What's the word I'm looking for? The truest. Oh, words. It's only Monday. Oh, with your dacism. <laughs> um, it's like. Go ahead. Just spit it out. You're, it, it really rewards you for reading it a second time. The prologue. Okay, yes. I mean, the whole book series does, but especially the prologue is like, oh, my goodness. The second time around, everything makes complete sense. And it's so cool that you get get that piece. Awesome. I, I will agree. Having read it a second time, it makes it's it's kind of like a, a whole new world. Yeah, but why why do you think he started like that? Is, would it be too unwieldy to start laying out the pieces? He just jumped in and figured it out as he went. I I wonder if it's a reference to the whole wheel of time concept because I want to say, it, I wonder if it's in the first chapter or if it's in the prologue how it says there really is no beginning in the wheel of time, but there is a beginning for something. And so I wonder if it's just, yes, it's the beginning here, but it's just kind of very circular. That's why you have to kind of go back and forth. Uh, That's the first chapter of the first chapter of the first paragraph of the first chapter. You're thinking about there, Eddie. It talks about the wind is a beginning. Yeah. And it is the um, reincarnation and the, the circular nature is very much a large part of wheel of time. So that's, that's a good, that's a good insight that kind of you go forward to go back because it all, and he says it, doesn't he? He says, or what's, what's his quote? Fool, our fight hasn't been 10 years. Our fight has been countless thousand upon thousand years, you know, of the turning of the wheel. So. Yeah. Since the beginning of the time. Idea, since the beginning of time. <clears throat> uh, there are some concepts I can kind of could put out there that aren't going to be spoilery. That'll kind of give you guys some more context. Um, so Luz Theron is the dragon, right? That's the guy who's insane. Yeah. So at is, the is he also called Lord of the Morning too? Like, is yes, that another one like of his titles? Okay. I was, I was yeah, going to say, because exactly. I, I recall like seeing like Lord of the Morning dragon. Uh, I guess uh, the other guy is trying to also now call him Kinslayer too. But, yeah. It's his yes. new title in this age. He's kind of like Daenerys Targaryen. He just right. keeps adding titles. He's the breaker of chains, the mother <laughs> right. of dragons. He has a lot of names. Yeah. He was a he was a general in the in the battle or in the war. It's called the the, the war of power is what he's referencing there. The ten year war. Uh, the other guy, the betrayer, is obviously on the other side of the war, um, and he mentions that he's been 
uh, he's so far in the taint, right? Did, was that interesting? That's an unfortunate phrase that we're going to hear a lot in this book series. <laughs> is the taint? Uh, there's there's kind of a reason that the uh, the TV show went with the corruption because there was entirely too many taint jokes to be made. <laughs> they kept going with that on TV for sure. Um, so yeah, in in this world, uh, the you kind of got an idea that. I think it mentions the true power, the true source, and the male half of the power. So the the power is divided gender between men and women. It's the same source, but you only access a portion based off your gender, uh, basically. So all of the men have gone insane. And he's an example of that because they attempted to, I think the phrase is cage the dark one, right? I think it's his phrasing. He says, in, our, in my arrogance, I tried to cage what the creator made and what we broke so they attempt to to cage the dark one which is basically the devil it is evil incarnate it is it is true evil there is no i mean it's just that side of the spectrum it's just evil in its intention so they attempt to uh, reseal it and the counterstroke turns all men insane because he mentions that there's a an oil slick over this source so any man that channels will go insane that is now their which, doom, would, which that would essentially explain why he didn't recognize his wife laying at his feet then, right? Yeah, he was so far in the madness that he recognized nothing <laughs> around him. Okay, so then that's when uh, the betrayer like basically channeled the Dark One to use his quote-unquote like healing abilities and was able to yeah. like give him that realization back. Because he didn't want to gloat over a deranged man. He wanted to gloat over his enemy, not someone lost to his own his own madness. And then uh, you kind of get a glimpse of how powerful the power is, too, there at the end of the chapter, when he literally creates a volcano on himself. But does he actually do that, yeah. though? Yeah, yeah, that is him channeling so, so, so he, much. He calls that down, then? Yes. Okay, so is that why he said you cannot escape so easily? He's really not dead? Well, the idea is reincarnation is everything. So, yeah, the idea is that even though Luz uh, killed himself through too much channeling and created the mountain, his soul will eventually be reborn somewhere along the wheel in a new age, and the battle will begin anew. As the wheel weaves. As that the is wheel, the phrase we'll wheel, hear. wheel, wheel. Wills. There's a lot of W's. The will weaves as the wheel wills. <laughs> That's your tongue twister. I guess I'll make a guess at this point. So, you okay. know, the, is it Sidon? Sidon, that's the male half of the power. Sidon, yeah. So, so if that's the male half of the power, and they all went insane, and they tried to contain this darkness, I wonder if that pertains to that emblem that was on his cloak on Lewis's cloak, the mm. black and white half and symbol, which kind of sounds like the yin yang symbol. Yeah, it, it, is. Uh, it looks exactly uh, like it. Yeah. And so I wonder if that one infers that, you know, the the great dark lord is female if they were to have a gender per se. Because, you know, mm. that's the other half of the said power and they're talking about this light and darkness battle essentially. Interesting. I've never, uh, I've never made that connection. That is an interesting prediction. Hmm. I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm not sure if you want to let him sit with that one for a while. I'm going to let yeah, you sit with that yeah, one. For, we're going to read. Dak, I can hear the money. smile in your voice. <laughs> because certainly, you know, in in chapter one, there's this very prominent theme, which we're not there yet, but we like, once, once we get there, I'll talk about it. But there's a very prominent theme about genders and there yes. about whose role is whose role and who has one power. And in no point is hey men do all this easy stuff or all this hard stuff and the women don't do anything you know there's this very delicate balance of responsibilities and roles at the paint in there yes right down your prediction there all right we're gonna see how that comes to you i like it though <laughs> i've never actually come up with that one myself so that was actually really really cool so i was wondering sadian is the male and sadai is the female sidar sadai a sadai and sidar oh okay so not sadai Nope. Sadai is a, uh, it's an honorific attached to someone who is, who belongs to the organization. 
So his name, his honorific would be Luz Sedai because he is Aes Sedai. Got it. Right? So it's more like, um, yeah, it's more like a, a title, like Lord or something when you belong to the organization. No. So Sidene and Sidar. Sidar is the female half of the power and Sidene is the male half of the power. You better power. get used to all the names and words just being like one letter different <laughs> as we progress on this journey because that's how the whole book series goes. Sounds like we should just learn Spanish. Right. It might be easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's the bonus part of the podcast. 15 it's minutes at the end. So yeah, I'm um, just checking my prologue notes here. Uh, I, I was I was just gonna say real quick. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. With the whole part where it said like when he reached out to the true source or the the tainted Sidene, and he mm-hmm. traveled. Like, is that impl- implying that he traveled like to a different location or to a different time yes. or both? Location. Okay. It's like t- it's like mage teleport. Okay. Yep. Because I, I was I was wondering that I was like because like if he if he traveled to a different like area which I mean is obvious because he was he was in like a castle and then he was on a, a hillside and there was nobody within miles um, like he he traveled like he could have also traveled in time too like yeah. like his death kind of ushering in the new age kind of thing which it does anyways but it kind of does yeah I mean. But yeah, nope. It's um, it's just straight mage teleport, teleporting locations. Okay. So I think we cover a thing for the prologue. Some good predictions and some some really solid insights to start us off. Because uh, we're introduced to the man named Luz Theron. We see him calling for his dead wife, who he can't recognize. Uh, the Trail of Hope basically heals him long enough to let him know he's what he's done. They talk about the Ten Year War and how Luz and his companions attempted to uh, cage the Dark One, which is essentially the devil, but it backfired, tainting Sidene, and drove him mad. And then once he learned what he had done, he literally turned himself into a volcano <laughs> by pulling in too much of the power. So that's that's kind of an idea of how powerful people can be. They can literally be walking nuclear bombs. If they're strong enough in the power, which everyone has a different power level uh, within the, you know, within the universe. But if they're strong enough, they can do some damage, which is actually really put out by this first quote in the in the chapter one, which is I love both these quotes. So I'm just going to read them. But uh, and the shadow fell upon the land and the world was riven from stone from stone. The oceans fled and the mountains were swallowed up. The nations were scattered to the eight corners of the world. The moon was as blood and the sun was as ashes. The seas boiled and the living envied the dead. All was shattered and all but memory lost. And one memory above all others. Of him who brought the shadow and the breaking of the world. In him they named Dragon. So, you know, you have at least, what do you say, the thousand, the 999 companions or whatever, 900 companions that we rode with. That's at least 900 crazy nuclear bombs running around that can't be reasoned with. So they they essentially tore the world apart. Scattered nations, destroyed cities, created seas. Well, I mean, the world doesn't even look like it did when the the last man is finally finally dead. So it's kind of like the the theoretical breaking apart of, of Pangea, basically. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, everything's just different. I think it takes takes at least a hundred years for the breaking. I think it takes three hundred years for the breaking to occur. So over three hundred years, this happens, and humanity just barely manages to survive, essentially, an apocalyptic winter to try to rebuild once all the men are gone. And then we get my other really fun. I just I love all the quotes. This man can write some quotes. Robert Jordan can. And it came to pass in those days, in those days, as if it had, as it had come before and would come again, that the dark lay heavy on the land, and weighed down the hearts of men, and green and the green things failed, and hope died, and men cried out to the Creator, saying, "O light of the heavens, light of the world, let the promised one be born of the mountain, according to the prophecies, as he was in ages past and will be in ages to come." Let the prince of the morning sing to the land that green things will grow and the valleys give forth lambs. Let the arm of the Lord of the dawn shelter us from the dark and the great sword of justice defend us. 
let the dragon ride again on the winds of time. I just love that quote. Like, gives Amen. me chills every time I read it. <laughs> like, it's a good <clears throat> moment, man. Like, Amen. you're in charge doing your Catholicism <laughs> that stuff. So I imagine yeah. that quote picks up more meaning as we get farther and farther into the series. It does. Oh, for sure. So good. Uh, so I didn't know if we were on... reading if we were going to cover all the way through chapter two. So I did go ahead and read chapter two today too. So I read up to I read chapter two in its entirety. I didn't get a chance to read chapter three um, because I had the extra long work day today. I, I forgot okay. about starting that today or read more yesterday. So well, I, 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 I thought we were only going to cover through chapter two anyways today. So excellent. That's that'll work. Cool. I was telling um, mom about that. If we end up getting in early because we we're done, then we can always be done early so our an hour and a half is just our max time okay. so we open up after those quotes with chapter one which is called an empty road i'm just going to give a quick quick synopsis here now uh, we open on a gravel road with two men heading to emmons field a young man named rand althor and his father tam rand has a interesting encounter with a writer dressed in black uh, they eventually do make it to town called Edmonds Field. It seems the town is preparing for a festival called Beltine, which is a spring festival. Uh, it does. It does. There's a lot of talk, though, of a bad winter, a long winter, uh, winter storms, stillborn lambs, uh, wolves and bears coming out of the mountains, making it uh, dangerous to be out on the roads or in the fields at night. Flocks of ravens where there once were songbirds. Thanks to the one it says. Uh, we see them make the way through town to what's called the Wine Spring Inn. We meet the mayor named Bran. Uh, the elders all kind of start to discuss the bad weather, and we meet another uh, Edmund Field boy named Matt Coffin. Matt tries to get Rand to come play some pranks on the girls. Apparently, he's going to let loose an angry badger. I don't well, know how Dev smart had that the is. Badger. <laughs> Dev had the badger, and they were going to go release the badger on the girls. That might go badly. He's <laughs> a pissed off badger. There people. Well, I, um, but I you don't. Know. I don't think they so much intended to like release it like at the feet of the girls. They they just said they were going to release it on the green and watch all the pretty girls run. Uh, that's that's true. Like they might have even just like let it loose like thirty feet from them. You know. Yeah, maybe not not quite quite so close for swiping range. Yeah. Uh, Matt t- starts to mention there's strangers in town. Rand jumps to uh, that he's talking about the writer. Matt also is like, you saw the writer too? And they talk about how the writer's creepy. But this can't be the same guy because they're talking about, a, I think, a, a Gleeman at this point or that next chapter? No, they they mentioned the yeah, Gleeman. they talk about the Gleemans in town this chapter. So they talk about there's a Gleeman and there's going to be fireworks. Uh, they allegedly. end up carrying in some casks, allegedly fireworks. I'm going to get the town too excited too quickly. And last thing we get from Rand is they're kind of carrying in the casks of ale, or cider, I think, actually, is uh, his thoughts about a girl named Egwene, which is, or Egwene, I call her Egwene. It's Egwene. It's Egwene, uh, who is apparently Bran's daughter and is real pretty and makes his thoughts all jumbled. So that's that's our chapter, kind of our chapter one synopsis there. And well, it was it was actually the second time that she was brought up as well, because while he was on the road with his dad, his dad brought it up too, just kind of like poking fun at him, like like father and sons do, just trying to get a rise out of him. And he was able to actually push her out of his mind, and then his his friend brings her up too. Second time, not so easy. Yeah. How about you start us off, Eddie? What's what's your thoughts, your takes on this chapter? Well, I guess, you know, I kind of alluded to earlier, but the whole very strong division of the men and the women and their roles. Um, but in the sense, you know, the women have the women's circle, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. And, then, and while they didn't necessarily say it outright, but the village council sounded like that was all male based yeah. off of who was on it and kind of how women's circle is their business and the village council, you know, has their business and they try not to interfere with each other. But even on top of that, when they describe, you know, the Beltine Festival, the spring pool being erected by women and then unmarried women dancing and then men uh, singing and things like that, but also men fixing the roof and women doing the cooking. And so there's uh, just very, very strong men versus women kind of theme mm-hmm. amongst it very, all. 
very very uh, divided genders and very their camps right they have their they do their things and they don't really cross the lines it definitely progresses as a theme as you get throughout the books even in book five you'll find that in some of the other societies societies and cultures so it is a definite theme within the books he he wrote a uh yeah i mean the whole book series is very much has a binary gender division and one of the things one of the major tenets of the book series is if both genders would just talk to each other things would be fine but we'll we'll talk more about that as we go. That's kind of one of the what a novel kind of idea. The, what a novel <laughs> idea. Communications overrated. Uh, I got a I got a pretty good chuckle out of the description of the kids who weren't quick enough to make it out to play with the hoops. We're stuck beating the frogs with with wicker. Yep. yep. Whatever those things are, and they were pissed about it, like just whacking it because they can't mm-hmm. go play because their their friends all beat them outside. I think it was also kind of implied that the women's circle may kind of budge in on the men's circle. Like the men's circle or the village council would never deem or never mess with the women's circle business. But I did kind of get the impression that the women's circle, if they, if they feel like it's their business, there may be some, there may be some influence. There may be some influence as there usually is. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely sounded like marriage. (laughs) <laughs> a, little, a little bit a little bit uh what'd you pick up from the chapter mom besides that those are some solid observations on the gender well um it was just this idyllic little community right it's almost like it's setting itself up as there's some portent there's something coming on but you you just see these folks living their simple lives and depending on each other, and it's it's uh, unsophisticated, mm-hmm. and you just um, you just got a sense of something's gonna happen. Something's not good. It's too it's too good right now, right? It's yeah. Too too idyllic. Um, which is to say, most how well, how many epic fantasies start with an idyllic small town? I mean, that is the. That is that is the formula, right? Especially after Lord of the Rings and introduced the Shire. And actually, when Robert Jordan wrote Eye of the World, to get published, you had to write thematically like Lord of the Rings, or they wouldn't publish you. So we'll see a lot of similarities to uh, Fellowship of the Ring as we go through. He'll subvert them as we go, but he had to put enough of those tropes in there to get published, or they wouldn't publish him at all. Which is why you have the idyllic kind of... Uh, town life where it's outside of the realm of the other world. No one cares what goes on there. They do their own thing. Everyone's happy. One of those ignorance right. is bliss. Like nobody comes yeah. here to bother yeah. us. And we don't go on adventures. That's right. That's right. As someone who grew up in a small town community, I, I identify with Edmonds field <laughs> and the two rivers. It's, it's comforting. I'm sure it is. There's also fireworks, which, you know, there's the Lord of the Rings has fireworks. So he does mention fireworks in his, there's alleged fireworks. Alleged fireworks. I haven't seen them yet. <clears throat> Other observations well, I because saw because there there still hasn't been a a peddler in town, and there's already True, supposed to be peddlers peddler. coming into town for weeks now. But yeah, but the winter, right? The winter keeps yeah. pushing everything it's back persistent. and making things harder. Do you guys get an idea that the two rivers folk might be stubborn at any point during that chapter? Oh, stubborn? definitely. I think they just talk about it over and over how. <laughs> They could teach the stone something. They could teach stones patience. Yeah. Uh, as a quote, they say, and they could train well, mules. we'll survive. Huh? Oh, they and, train mules, yeah. yeah. They could train mules, yeah. At one point, I think a bunch of them in town say, well, we'll survive, the light willing, and if the light doesn't, we'll do it anyway. Like, <laughs> yep. they've, they don't rely on anyone but themselves. They need no handouts. They'll pick up their, uh, their bootstraps and they'll get it done. Do you guys catch that Tam is apparently quite the catch? Yeah, oh, he's, yeah. he's the eligible ba- eligible bachelor. He's he's the widow yeah. uh, widower in town or j- from out of town that everyone like. He still has a successful farm. Like they definitely dropped that part of it. And his son Rand is reaching the age where like everyone's trying to set him up too. And so it's just, you know, who do you think he might be currently promised to? <laughs> Who? Tam or Rand? Rand. 
Rand. Do you think there's anyone in particular he might be kind of tied to already? Probably Egwene. Uh, just because of like his dad's little like jab at him about it. Um, that and maybe. I, I don't know if any other like girls' names that weren't already like married or like trying to set him up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone mentioned. else is, has been mentioned yet in the first chapter. Yeah. I don't. I don't think anyone is. Did you guys catch anything interesting about the black cloaked rider and then he was creepy? Um, they make a brief mention of who he could potentially be. Um, yeah. yeah, they call him the shepherd of the night, but they also said, "Hey, that could be the dragon as well." Yeah. The dragon is like the boogeyman. It's interesting, yeah. right? The idea that eventually he has to be reborn for this, this, this. Um, uh, conflict to end, but no one, they all, everyone's scared, scared of him because he literally caused the world to implode on itself. Right. Yeah, they call him the Shepherd of the Night, which is another name for the, the Dark One, which is another name for the Great Lord of the Dark, which is another name for the Devil. There's like eight names for everything and where you're at, culture-wise. Um, or, or what side of the light you're on. Or what side of the light you're the on. The Dark One is if you're on the light side, and the Lord of the Dark is if you're on the bad side. <laughs> Uh, I think, um, but they they mentioned something about his clothes. Did did uh, either like how they didn't billow in the wind? Yeah, right. Because that's what that's what Rand makes Rand think he's seeing things. Yeah. It, what 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 I kind of think is like if it is um, uh, dragon or if it is the the dark one, you know, um, if they do have to be reborn, I don't think I don't think they necessarily have to be reborn from birth. I feel like it's just like a spirit that will like basically kind of chooses who they want to inhabit to basically be their vessel for their next return, you know? Okay. And so the, the fact that both uh, Matt and Rand have both seen it tells me that he's kind of vying for different candidates as to like whether or not he wants to become one of them or if he wants to go with someone else, kind of like a selection process. Cool. Also, I, cool I, like, I don't know how like how much water this holds or not, but I, I have a feeling that the the misty mountains, the misty mountains, mm-hmm. I have a feeling might even be the one like from uh, created from like the the whole like destruction like time period. Okay. Maybe even Dragon himself might that might be the the mountain that he actually uh, created when uh, lightning struck him. Only for the simple okay. purpose that if that is him, that shadowed figure, then it would make the most sense that he would start looking closest to where he last died on his reincarnation path. Hmm. It is not the Misty Mountain from the Led Zeppelin song, unfortunately. <laughs> or the Misty yeah. Mountains from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Which also has Misty Different Mountains. Different set of Misty Mountains. That's, a, that's an interesting theory, though, Skylar. Yeah. Sure. But also, um, are like once they reach like the coming of age, are all women part of the wisdom or just a select few? Kind of like, good question. Wisdoms are a select few. Yeah, uh, you can think of a wisdom like the town healer. Okay. And in some cases, with Nynaeve, I don't think they've they named her yet by name. I think so. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Nynaeve. yeah, because um, the uh, talks about the her. the Caldens or whatever they are, the Calden okay, and yeah. Padres, the the inbred family. Um, yeah, yeah. Compliment he was causes. he was loudly voicing that, and when uh, the wife came out, basically beat the crap out of him, took him back inside. Yeah, that's the women's circles business. But honey, you see if you get fed. Yeah. So the wisdom is most small towns only have one wisdom. A bigger town might have several wisdoms. Um, but the women's circle is definitely a coming of age um, okay. induction for the young ladies in the village. Yeah, all, all women are part of the women's circle, but not all men are part of the <laughs> village council. Uh, well, actually, in, in the books, it's not necessarily true if all women are in the women's circle. That's more of a show thing that they did. The, well, once they come of age. That's not in the books, though, that technically they go through that ritual. Okay. It makes sense for all women to be part of the women's circle, but that technically it's a show thing to go through, like the jumping in the river. In the book, it's... There's just a women's... Women just braid their hair. Okay. Well There's just a women's circle in the books, then. 
but yeah, wisdoms are um, smaller. Towns have one. Uh, we also noticed Nynaeve is mentioned that she can listen to the wind because they talk about how she won't ever tell them the weather, right? Every time they ask her about the weather, she doesn't answer and storms off. So apparently in this world, uh, wisdoms can also uh, predict the weather, like uh, weather forecasters, apparently. Or at least this particular wisdom seems to be able to predict the weather. So they, they heal, they predict the weather if it's in their talent pool and things of that nature. Apparently our wisdom is extremely young. Nynaeve Almera's very young wisdom, which is why no one, none of the old, no old men like dealing with her. It's She's like younger than they are and beats them with a stick if they get in her way. She has no qualms. Uh, what was, uh, Eddie, what was your first impression of Matt there? He's definitely the troublemaker friend. It reminds me of, like, you know, in high school, you know, you graduate, you leave town, you go to a bigger college, and then you come back, but that friend, you know, stayed locally, and, you know, it, things never changed for him, but certainly things have changed for you. And even though you guys are such good friends, you're just you know, at a very different point in your life. So he's Matthew McConaughey from Dazed and Confused. Essentially. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Anything else I've got here. Uh, anything you want to add, Mom, about the chapter that we haven't talked about yet? No. I mean, I, oh, I was wondering if, if they weren't celebrating Beltine a little, like, preemptively. Like, it, it almost seems like, like, even with all the, like, talk about it being too early or, like, winter's going to carry on, like, Beltine is supposed to be, like, celebrated, like, the very first week of spring. And, like, yeah, the idea is spring over. should have happened. Right. Well, spring should have happened, it, like, it, months and a half ago. Right. But the, the fact that winter is still going on, it's like Beltine shouldn't necessarily happen yet. And so it, it almost seems like they're just, like, forcing it to happen. Like, oh, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We're going to basically will spring to be here so we can get rid of this winter and get on with our lives. Yeah, that's a good observation. I think at some, some point someone notes <clears throat> one of the village council or Rand or Tam mentions it's almost for good spirits at this point more than anything else because it's been such a crappy winter and people just need right. to feel good. Yeah. So they're just, yeah, it's like you said, they're going to do it whether the weather cooperates because darn it, bell times at this time every year, whether, whether there's crops or not, we're doing it. <laughs> Light willing, they'll celebrate. If not willing, they'll celebrate anyway. Exactly. Uh, last question I had for you guys was, uh, what did you guys think of the flame in the void? Did you catch that? It was, it was, uh, he talked about it on the road. Yeah, it was like yes. he was teaching him a, a way to focus and... Yeah, yeah. Like a med, not not made him maybe not a meditation technique, meditative but, state, perhaps. Yeah, something to help deal with external, um, from external not influences, but stimuli. Stimuli kind of just shut them all yeah. out until you only have that one focus. Yeah, or I mean, it, it could even be like a, a subjective training as far as like basically for. Uh, because I think at one point the mayor jokes that Rand will make a good member of the council after his dad. And I think it's yeah, his dad kind of training him to be more stoic and like show less of like the like heart on your sleeve kind of thing. And more of the just like rigid calculating kind of like trying to be unbiased while giving a valid opinion. Uh, Mm-hmm. I think he's just kind of trying to trying to train him more for that rather, but using archery as the training vessel for it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I wonder if it's like foreshadowing and setting him up for something farther down the line, as far as like historically, as far as who Tam is and was, because you know it says the the exact passage was it was an odd thing Tam had taught him. You know, and concentrate on a single flame and feed all your passions into it. Fear, hate, anger, 
till your mind became empty, became one, become one with the void, Tam said, and you can do anything. And then this part says, nobody else in Emmons Field talked that way. And then certainly they talk about how um, Rand's mother was an outlander too. And so it makes me wonder if Tam is a much more traveled person than anyone else has. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he learned these things from somebody else. Maybe, you know, maybe his wife taught him all these things. But certainly it makes him sound almost like as if he was an adventurer in a past life and then just finally settled down. It's definitely possible, especially if you also caught the descriptors of how just Rand looks. It talks about how he's much taller than everyone who lives in Edmund Field and Two Rivers and different, eye different color. color eyes and yeah. hair. Um, so because it doesn't even stand like a, a foot taller than his dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. a good foreshadowing point. Yeah, he's don't he's like a foot taller than his dad, who's who's normal for the village in terms of stature. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I was a good one, Eddie. I wrote down your prediction that Tam is Tam more than a farmer. We'll see if it pans out, but I wrote it down as a prediction for you. Yeah, he also makes brandy. He he does. (laughs) (laughs) My God, he brings brandy every year. Man of many talents. You guys good if we move to chapter two? Yeah, I'm good for it. All right. No one says no. So let's see, uh, chapter two is titled Strangers. Uh, synopsis here is we start down in the cellars where we learn Matt has had a prank go wrong, <laughs> where he attempted <laughs> the covered dogs in flour to convince some of the local boys that ghost dogs were real, and they ran home right into a very formidable blacksmith's wife's house, who was not happy about it, and he's afraid that the blacksmith knows it was him and is going to probably tan his hide pretty good with those giant, like, forearms and arms he's talked to have. Uh, And we learn that there are more strangers in town than just a black-cloaked rider and a gleeman. Uh, One of the... I didn't didn't write down the boy's name. It starts with an E. Ewen? Ewen. Ewen. Says there's strangers, and then both land... Both Rand and Matt are like, does he have a cloak? Is it black? And he's like, no, it's a chick, and she's pretty. Right, so we kind of learned from him. Well, that- he, he he first mentions the the man that accompanies the lady, and how like his True. his cloak isn't necessarily one color. Like in in some light, it's lighter, green. some light it's darker, and they even observe later in the chapter that it almost seems to like his cloak almost seems to basically change based on what the the guy is standing next to, and it just does its best to kind of like blend in to make him as invisible as possible. And I think that's it's pretty like dope. Chameleon cloak. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That was one part of the, the book I wish they'd made it to screen, but I, I know why they didn't do it, because it would have been really hard to make look cool, especially with, with uh, visual effects. But So we learned that uh, there's the guy with the cloak. We also learned that there is a uh, he thinks it's a high-born lady. Her name is Moraine, and we he knows the, the guy's name is Lan. He predicts that he is uh, in service, right, to the lady Moraine, mm-hmm. and even thinks that he could be a, a warder. Which Matt later scoffs at. I'm pretty sure that's in this chapter. Yes. Later scoffs at and says, "Warders wear uh, gold and armor and jewels and flight and fight the Great One and his Trollocs in the Borderlands." And you see Trollocs, and he's not covered in gold. Quit having flights of fancy, kind of thing. Uh, they do eventually get all the cider in the cellar and eat some delicious tastes. They sound these. They uh, are described as delicious honey cakes. I kind of wanted one, and they're delicious. And they have a weird encounter with a raven. Let's stop there. What did you guys think about that encounter with the raven? See, I, I think it's more in line with, like, kind of it with my, like, theory with, like, the dark one. Not just being that, but, like, potentially being, like, an older, like, soul that's trying to, like, reincarnate. Like, I think something similar with the raven <clears throat> And that's just basing off of like Norse mythology, how the raven is said to be uh, Odin's bird and kind of like how Odin watches over and kind of sees what going, what's like the goings on and stuff. Like, I I think that's like the true purpose of the raven here is like some bigger power that be is actually basically sending its spies out, whether it's a good or bad, I don't know yet, but 
I think it's like sending one of its spies out. I can't wait till we get into later folks with you. It's going to be so good <laughs> with the Raven. Um, what about you, Eddie mom? What'd you guys think about the Raven encounter? So I definitely in my book had that Raven's like pro prologue. And so it, I, I guess I have a little more context, but definitely the Ravens yeah. look like bad messengers, bad omens kind of deal and belong more, definitely more so to kind of like the dark side of things. Well, I guess not a, a bad omen per se, because who knows, maybe the dark is the good guys because, you know, the dragon turned out to be a bad guy as far as the breaking of the world goes, but definitely mm-hmm. belonging to the dark half of things. Yeah. Well, it, it, even with that though, it, it's hard to tell, at least for me any, anyway, like is like if the raven is an omen, is it for one of the boys or is it for Moraine? Mm. It does seem to focus on the boys initially until Moraine talks to it. Yeah. What do you and think, Mom? It, and then it finally flies off. Yeah, but then she threw something at it, right? And it no, the, the boys the, the did. boys threw rocks. The boys at it. did. Okay, <clears throat> and it didn't yeah. doesn't fly away. That was the weird thing. Is yeah, the boys yeah, threw rocks side instead of flying okay. away. Sidesteps and keeps staring at them, and they're like, "That's." That's weird. Yeah. Kind of I, freaks them out a little bit. I definitely saw it as a minion or some sort. Checking things out. Mm-hmm. Keeping an eye on things. But it does eventually fly away, and we are officially introduced to Moraine. Uh, she is said to be short. Uh, Rand is, is captivated by her hair because it's not braided. He's never seen a woman, a grown woman without braided hair because this is how the two of us is. Uh, she's dressed in a nice blue dress that seems to be very expensive. I think he says large, dark eyes that you can fall into, I think is what his phrasing is. Uh, and she does, she talks to him, right? She introduces herself. Matt makes a fool of himself, <laughs> trying to bow like they do in the stories. And <laughs> and Rand thinks better. He's like, I was going to bow, but you look like an idiot. So I'm just going to say my name. Well, Thanks for saving me. Ewan made himself the fool first. Because she was sure. obviously addressing Matt and Rand, and he, when she asks for them to introduce themselves, and he speaks up completely out of turn, like saying Lady Moraine, all this, and then she was like, don't call me Lady. <laughs> it's just Moraine. You <laughs> <clears throat> do definitely get the idea that he is not the focus, don't you, in that little, oh, yeah. uh, in, in that and then whatever, in that exchange. Yeah, especially when it comes down to um, after they do their introductions and she presses a coin in each one of their hands and he immediately goes, oh, a silver penny. And then the other two like only reveal to each other what they were given and they pocket it immediately. A lot more money, especially yeah. for a small town. Yeah. And, and part of that too, though, is part of her <clears throat> giving them these coins. Like she said, uh, basically don't give it away or don't spend it. Like she was like, keep these kind of thing. And I'll need services later. Right away. Ewan was talking about stuff. He was wanting to buy from the peddler. If he ever came in town. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Annie. Oh, I was just going to ask if anybody had any other thoughts on the coins, why a stranger would just exactly that was... and give people some coins. This was one thing in the reread that I had forgot about. And I was like, Oh yeah. Coins. Go ahead, yeah, I mean, they, they definitely place an importance for sure, um, especially given the, the value of them, because uh, I believe while Rand is internally thinking, he mentions that it would be enough, like the the just that one coin alone would be enough to buy a good horse and have some left over. Right. Yeah, two horses, I think, even. Yeah. I think it's just a horse left over. But, like so, he knows there's there's value in it, and so I I think that just kind of adds like to their perplexment about her specifically. Mm-hmm. It's just like she's giving us these items of immense value for us. Like, what is she going to expect from us later? Kind of thing. Yeah, I have another right. thought there too in a second, but go ahead, Mom. What was your? That was it, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie, anything to add about the coins? Any predictions? Things you were thinking about it that haven't been said yet? No, I think for the most part, I think Skylar hit it on the head, but you know, certainly Terra is kind of alluding to the importance of it, or at least maybe not that coin in general, but just the importance of coin and that wealth in general. But you know, 
at the same time, how freely she gives it to may kind of speak a little bit about who she is and what that may or, what a silver coin may or may not be worth to her. It may be very insignificant. Yeah, that was my thought. Was it, it kind of also shows? I thought it was this time around. I realized it was a good show indicator of their small town life compared to the the bigger world. Right. Because you know, in in the bigger world, I'm sure that's get you an apple <laughs> versus town. So it's just another indicator of that that life they lead now that's so insular and isn't isn't affected by any outside information at all about what worth is, you know, outside of their area. Yeah. I was just wondering if anybody thought maybe that the coins themselves were important or if they thought just something was shysty with this stranger coming in and sounds like both giving these young men who she doesn't know silver pennies right off the bat, as we said, apparently they're worth a lot in a small town. So she must have some underlying reason. Right. I, I mean, if you're in downtown Decatur and somebody comes up and puts a $500 bill in your hand. Yeah. You're like, you're like, yeah. Shit. What? <laughs> well, Go to the store. <laughs> well, one thing. We could buy a whole town. Buy a whole town with that. <laughs> one thing that's, that I find also kind of intriguing about the coin is what it says was on it. Because it said it was a fat silver coin with a raised image of a woman balancing a single flame on her upturned hand. Mm-hmm. And I we think that probably reasonably infer that each uh, area probably makes its maybe each culture makes its own money. So it shows she's definitely from a right. Maybe not, a not just culture. that, but that might like for me, not knowing much about the series yet, but that might even be kind of a, a small link to the whole like flame and void conversation. Could be. Possibly. Possibly. I wonder if they got different coins too. Um, because certainly, you know, when Rand gets his coin, he's showing it only to Matt, but not showing it to Ewan. But then, you know, which then kind of makes Matt say, well, if that's the case, you know, I'm going to keep my coin and Rand's going to keep his coin. And then, uh, Ewan's like, well, should I keep mine too? And they're like, nah, you can spend yours. And so I wonder yeah. if there was definitely something else on his coin that he didn't mm-hmm. want to show Ewan. Maybe. I don't, did, did Rand show Ewan his, U, Ewan? <laughs> his Ew. coin? Did anyone no, show Ewan no. the coin? The, the, only, the only ones that showed uh, it said, showed each other, right? Yeah, uh, not, yeah. No, Rand, yeah. Rand tilted his hand towards Matt so that Matt could see it, but not Ewan. And he raised a questioning eyebrow. Matt nodded, and for a minute they stared at another in perplexed wonder. So, so I think, I think those got two the got the same coin, and then Ewan only got a silver penny. And they never mentioned Ewan that they got more. They just yeah. tell him to go spend his. When yeah. I think Skylar's idea too, or he hit on the head that hit on the head that they both understand that theirs is extra important, so they didn't want to spend it because they got a different current or a different amount than Ewan did. Uh, we also get an interesting conversation about why she's there, right? I think yes. uh, Uwen, at, or Uwen says that she's asking about everybody. She's asking when people were born, when people died, who moved, who's been here forever. And then I think Rand just says he doesn't mean to be rude and he apologizes, but he's he's like, why are you here? This is this is bumfuck nowhere. <laughs> no one, no one yeah. comes here. No one cares about us. Uh, and I think her response was, I'm a, I'm a student of history and a collector of, of stories, and you'd be surprised what can be found here or something. So I'm paraphrasing parts of that, but I got most of it. So the idea that – so what do you think, Mom? She's a, that she is what she says she is, a historian, a collector of stories? Oh, wait, you know. Never mind. Let's ask Eddie. You know if she watched the show. Let's get Eddie's impression there. Do you think she's being truthful about being a collector of his stories and a, a historian and a collector of stories? I think it's like a partial truth. You know, certainly it almost sounds like she's been around forever. You know, like, hey, I'm a historian. You know, it almost sounds like I want to collect people's stories and I've done this before and it interests me because I like to see how things have changed. So it almost makes it sound like she's much, much older than she looks or gives off. Yeah, uh, there's a phrase here where he says, 
Uh, so there it is. A collector of old stories. This place you call the Two Rivers has always interested me. Sometimes I study the histories of what happens here long ago, here in other places. And Rand's like, it's just the Two Rivers. What could have possibly happened here and what could have been called? And we, we again bring in that notion of reincarnation, right? That a place can have many names and uh, a soul can have many faces. The well, idea that it wasn't always the Two Rivers and it might have been something else before. Well, because her, her response to that was as the wheel turns, right? Or mm-hmm. as the wheel of time turns, which kind of feeds into my maybe the, the Misty Mountains right there were where, where Dragon basically like became a martyr. You know, because yeah. it also did say there, too, that as the, the mountain rose, it diverted the river. Yeah. Maybe it actually it split the river into two. And now this population Grace, down Grace here. Is, yeah. 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 So I, I think I think she knows more than she's letting on. And she's just trying to find the the, the elders of the community, basically, and basically mm-hmm. get their perception, see what they know. So that she knows how much of what she can say that's not going to freak people out too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chapter, there's not much that goes on after that. They finish <clears throat> up their conversation. She turns to leave. They notice land for the first time. And they, I mean, because, yeah, they didn't see him. He's pretty good at kind of blending into the background. Uh, let's see. The peddler then, gets there, and then I believe well, the I peddler arrives. Mentions, yeah, I was trying to see if it mentions like what man if they had a description of land beyond just there. Yeah, it talks about his hair and yeah, like how he has his hair up and like a, a I'm sure if it says it. like a wolf healing a wolf or a healing wolf or I don't remember that. I think it just gives a basic description of okay. what it looks like. All right, yeah, something about wolf. Where is that? Yeah, there's that was. His hair was long, gray at the temples, held back by a narrow leather headband. Face was all stony planes and angles. Uh, yeah. When he moves, Rand can think of nothing but a wolf. So, I mean, what, is that, what does that say to y'all about him if, if Rand just, if he just reminds Lan of a wolf, or Rand of a wolf? What do you think about that? Do y'all think that means he's probably dangerous? Or oozes dangerousness? Potentially, because early in the chapter one, they do go on at length about wolves. So I wonder if kind of that has some connection about how, one, dangerous they are, but two, also kind of how desperate they are as well. Mm, Maybe. And that's pretty much in the chapter, because, yeah, they talk about how they want to see the gleeman if he'll ever wake up. Ewan thinks that Matt's, you know, uh, pulling his chain. And then, yeah, the the giant wagon drawn by eight horses comes in. And Rand's, like, final thought is this is going to be the best spell time ever. <laughs> He's super well, excited for his spell time. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say one thing real quick. I, I did find it odd that, like, right as soon as Matt, or not Matt, uh, Rand and Tam arrived in a town, like the cart wasn't even fully loaded, and they were already wanting to have their 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 meeting that they had. You know, like mm-hmm. they didn't let them get settled in at all. They just like went straight into the meeting. Like I thought that was weird because like a lot of times like you'll at least let someone get like settled in, kind of like right, like yeah, like have a little bit of sit down you- time, and then and then go into a meeting, which makes me think that there's something extremely urgent. Yeah, there's some sort of apparent urgency in yeah. something. Let's see. We already talked about my questions. We talked about my observations already. So we got some predictions here. Eddie says the dark one. The dark one might be like the light half of the of the of the symbol. Maybe he's thinking that the dark one is a woman. Yes, that the was dragon it. is a man. Yeah. That was it. Skyler says that or his prediction is maybe that it's not necessary that, that a soul is reborn, but that it can inhabit, can look for a worthy vessel. Uh, Eddie thinks that Tam might be more than a farmer. 
Well, because uh, like also anyone? like another <clears throat> that I just thought of it. Um, the whole thing with with my thing uh, about it, like basically like finding a, a worthy person that it can inhabit. Like with your little um, comparison to Lord of the Rings, I mean that's kind of what the Ring of Power did too. It was it it called out to those that it deemed worthy to take it back to its master, basically. And Skyler's also got Misty Mountains, or was where the dragon blew himself up? Yep, that's pretty. All right. Did anybody have any thoughts on uh, Moraine's in-depth description of what she was wearing? Any, I didn't any really read into that? that one too much. Um, well, it definitely sounded not. What the like? She's definitely not a commoner. Yeah, she's definitely not from. Yeah. yeah, okay, not common. That's all we got. Got it. <laughs> I mean, not far <laughs> off. We're in silk with vines on it, and it what a gold gold belt, gold chain around her neck, heavy necklace. You don't wear that unless she got some money. And then the see, I'm okay. And then the the ring with the serpent biting its own tail. Oh, yeah. That was, that was mentioned. Thought that was kind of an in depth description of specifically states the second finger on her left hand, not that she's just wearing a serpent ring. Right. That yeah. seems a little more descriptive than it has to be. And then to say it is actually an older symbol for the Wheel of Time, kind of like, hmm. Perhaps that means something. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, I was just looking at, you know, in the book, at the end of the chapter, they definitely show that snake eating its own tail entwined with the Wheel of Time, I assume. Like, yes. stamped on there. Yeah, that's the, so definitely the some significance. Yeah, it's the Ouroboros the Ouroboros mixed with the wheel. Ouroboros, yeah. Is it Ouroboros? Yeah, or I think it's Ouroboros. I think that's the right word. That's what I'm thinking of. But yes, yeah, it does use that symbol. So... Okay, solid predictions. You guys have good insights on that. Any final words? I mean, it's about 8.30, so we actually kept pretty close to our end time once we got through all the technical difficulties. Uh, any final thoughts that we haven't brought up yet for this particular podcast, for these chapters? At what point do we hit the Spanish dialogues? <laughs> just throw in just, just throw it in feel like you're comfortable yeah uh, got it but definitely by book three we'll start once we start meeting more um women of import we'll start getting all kinds of real close names yes so, got it so take closer and better notes there yes. is also apparently a website you can google where it will give you the name and the pronunciation without spoiling you. It like it just lists the most basic info about that person without giving away book details. I would definitely recommend that. It might also be an app on your phone. So are these like official pronunciations of said names? As, based as off official the author? as we can get. <laughs> okay. Or just based um, on general consensus of what every majority of people call them. Most are based off of the uh, audiobook, which is based off the author. Okay. So they're about as close as you're going to get to canon without someone just making it up. Because I definitely called Nynaeve not Nynaeve for the longest time. I think the first, first whole time I read it, I called her not Nynaeve at all. I had that completely wrong. Got it. <laughs> Same so there with, is some um, merit to listening to the audiobook. Yeah, they do yeah. help. Uh, Moraine, I said I mean, wrong. Even having listened to the audio and watching the show, Egwene, when I read it, I still call her Edwin because that's how it reads. I read her Egwene the first time I read this. Definitely series, say so. Egwene too. Or Egwene. Yeah. Egg, Egwene? Oh, man. Yeah. See, her <laughs> name should just be Egwene. It's easier. Or we can just call her Egg. 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 We'll call her Egg I'm for call short. The Great Lord of the Dark Claude is what I have <laughs> that Claude. <laughs> Like names that we shorthand for the podcast. Let's add another. That's great. Yeah, just use our own names. Sometimes the, the show people will do that. The ones that are watching the show, they'll just they'll just rename rename characters. Uh, it's actually there's some pretty funny ones in there. I'll talk about as we get to them. 
trying to remember what they call um what they do for Egwene. I don't know. There's there's a really funny one for a couple of characters. I'll bring it up when we get to them. But all right, so, so that is the okay. oh, go ahead, mom. You go. Go ahead. Speak. I was just. I'm sorry. I'm just looking back and wondering why is the peddler's wagon so big? He's a peddler, and nobody I mean, hardly goes to the two rivers, so they may need more things. You know, it's kind of it, like it, a it eight, eight horses do. is a lot of horses. Well, when you only go to town, when no one ever goes to town, and they don't have any way to get any things, they they may need more things than. I was also thinking if he's a single peddler instead of a peddling train, he's going to want to carry the most can. goods he can than the most breadth of goods he can because well, his I, livelihood I, just depends on his wagon alone. I think the mayor also indicated that he might have prepaid for the fireworks. True. So, like, based on the like sheer amount of fireworks that he bought, might have called for a bigger wagon than the peddler ah. would have brought. But it's also the first peddler to come out for the season. And it's already like a month and a half late from when like the first one should have. So like it, it might even just be a bigger wagon for that purpose too. Like they need, yeah. they might just need more stuff. Yeah. But, there's only two towns close, right? There's Devon's Ride and Watch Hill are the only two. And Ter- no, it's Terran Ferry. It's Devon's Ride. And- Devon's Ride. There's like three around them, but they're all small. Nothing's big. Uh, Devon Rides, Terran, Devon's Ride, Terran Ferry. Watch Hill are the three closest towns, but they're all small towns, so it's not like they really have much trading to do amongst themselves. I think it mentions that they're most they're most of their products in Emmons Field is tobacco and sheep. And and sheep. <laughs> sheep and tobacco. <laughs> That's pretty much all they they outsource beyond keeping their own stuff uh going. Emmons Field. Apparently the other ones are small I need enough. The other map. Oh, he's Charles. Terry's looking at the at the map. The two rivers. Map. Yeah, it looks like Water Hill is the closest, and then Water. Hill? I think that's Watch Hill. Watch yeah, Hill. Watch Hill. Sorry, it's a Water weird Hill font be- that it's written Watch in. Ter- yeah, Terran Ferry and and Watch Hill. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're all Ride. within pretty close to each other, but they're all pretty small. And then Devon's right. Devon's I mean, right. And you notice too that Two Rivers is pretty much ice. I mean, it is isolated. You've got desert river mountains and that's and then the only so you only got one way in really to to the two rivers which is why no one probably ever goes there no i also chuckled when it was talking about how old road becomes or the different name when it crosses yeah because you know yeah. we have that in current day stuff i mean even here right. here in town you've got when you hit the interstate, you've got the road changes names across the interstate. Right, like Walton becomes Walnut. Walton. Walnut. Walnut. Yeah, it just made me chuckle. I was like, hey, we do that too now. How about that? <laughs> no. All right, guys. Well, our next meeting will be on the 17th, and it will be chapters 3, 4, and 5. Uh, great good. notes, great yeah. observations. Uh, had a good time. Uh, thanks for joining, and we'll talk to you all next week. Laters. Thank you. Bye. Bye.